27, John chapter 4, pick up where we left off last week, and in John chapter 4, verse 27, the title of the message this morning is Satisfaction for the Hungry Soul, Satisfaction for the Hungry Soul. Last week, we looked at satisfaction for the thirsty soul, and we saw last week how Jesus comes and offers this lady at the well, the Samaritan woman, living water. And in his offer to her of living water, he is offering her the gospel and hope of life in Jesus Christ. And so I I don't want to read verses 7 through 26. You might be thankful for that, but we'll jump straight to verse 27 this morning. And we will begin there and begin reading in verse 27. So if you found your place, say amen and follow along as I read. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life. So that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus and were asking him to stay with them, he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It's no longer because of what you have said that we believe. We've heard for ourselves And know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. I I should have given you maybe the background before we started reading. But let me just fill in the gap for you if you're thinking, well, it kind of picked up midstream here. Uh, The... What's happening in this passage, Jesus has left Judea and on his way to, is on his way to Galilee. And on his way to Galilee, over this three-day journey, he has to pass through Samaria in order to get there. And instead of going around Samaria, he's going to go straight through Samaria. And as he's passing through Samaria, or coming close to Samaria, he comes near to a town called Sychar. And when he arrives close to this town, there's a well there. It's Jacob's well. He tells the disciples, I'm going to wait here. You go into town, get us some food, and I'll be waiting here. And so he sits there at the well and is resting because he's weary from his journey. And as he's resting there at the well, there is the Samaritan woman who approaches the well. And she asks him, uh, or he asks her, rather, for a drink. 
And as he asked her for a drink, she was very surprised because she had just gone to draw water when Jesus began speaking to her. The reason she was surprised is because it was uncustomary for a Jewish man to speak to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. In fact, in Judaism, it was believed for a a rabbi to speak with a woman was at best a waste of time. And at worst, in public that is, and at worst it was a, a distraction from studying the Torah which could lead to eternal condemnation. Now that was the view that was prevalent among the religious leaders of Judaism. Not the view prevalent today, okay? But it's the view that was prevalent among the religious leaders. And so this is kind of the background of, of what's happening. And that's, that's significant for us to understand. That's the background of, of what's happening when she's so surprised that not only is a man speaking to her, but this is a Jewish man who's speaking to her, a Samaritan woman. And then as the story begins to unfold, we learn more and more about this Samaritan woman. But she responds to the conversation, and as she does, her, Jesus continues to speak and And he offers her living water. She's come to draw water from the well. She misunderstands the offer for living water. And as she misunderstands this offer for living water, she says, give me this water so I won't have to come back every week and draw. I don't want to have to come back here every day and draw water from here. And the point that Jesus was making is not that whenever he gives living water, he replaces... It's not that he replaces uh, the, the everyday activity that we have to do, that we, that we are engaging in. Instead, what Jesus does is when he gives us this living water, he gives purpose to the everyday activity, the everyday mundane activity of our lives. And so that's the point of what Jesus is, is saying when he's offering her living water. He's not changing her daily routine. Instead, what he's doing is he's offering her purpose and hope and eternal satisfaction. He's offering satisfaction eternally for her thirsty soul. We see this throughout the Gospel of John where those who come to Jesus are, are looking with physical eyes and they're seeing at a very physical level the physical reality, but Jesus often challenges them at a very spiritual level on the spiritual reality. And he, mar- he, he masterfully takes the, the physical and he bridges the gap to use the physical illustrations to communicate this spiritual truth. She comes to the well to draw water. Jesus says, if you would ask me, I'll give you living water. And you won't thirst again. You see how he does that? Well, it's the same in this passage today, except he uses the analogy of of food and of eating the disciples have gone they've gotten food they've come back with the food and so the first thing I, i want us to see this morning in this passage beginning in verses 27 through 30 is this that the gospel redeems people and culture the gospel redeems people and culture i think this is a significant truth for us to grip this morning or to be gripped with John gives us a detail in verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me. She left her water pot. Now she had come out to the well a couple of miles to draw water to bring it back, obviously because she needed water. But when she has this conversation and this interaction with Jesus and he offers her this living water. The first thing she does is take off going back to town without the water pot. I think John gives us this specific detail to show the urgency of the woman leaving her water pot and running back. 
I also find it interesting, though, that it says when she gets back to town, she says, look there in verse, at the end of verse 28, went into the city and said to the men, she goes and she knew where the, the men were in the city, and she goes and she says to the men in the city, she says, come and see a man who told me all the things that I've done. Now, if you're not familiar with last week's passage, Jesus confronts her in her sin and says, go call your husband and come back. And she says, uh, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five and the one you're living with now is not your husband. And so this kind of gives us an idea of the struggle and, and the difficulty of this lady's life, of the Samaritan woman's life. And so this lady runs back to town and she tells the men in the town, come see a man who's told me everything that I ever did. And what she knows at that, now Jesus didn't sit there and walk through every sin in her life, right? But she knows at that point that Jesus knew her heart. When she came to him, he knew what was going on inside of her life. He knew the mangled life that she had made for herself. He knew the struggles that she was walking through. And so she runs back to town and says, come see this man. He's offered me living water. She says it in an interesting way, though. She asks this question at the end. This is not the Christ, is it? I want to give you my perspective as to why she asked this question. I, I think she had come in contact with the Lord Jesus. I think she had believed on him in the sense of receiving this living water. But when she gets back to town, some say there was a little doubt mixed in her voice and being stunned with the encounter that she had just had with Jesus as the self-proclaimed Messiah. That's why she comes and she says it this way. This is not the Christ, is it? But others, others say that her question is posed so she doesn't present herself presumptuously in a way where she's teaching the men or, or claiming to teach the men of the city something they should know. Whatever the case, the result was that her testimony brought a sizable group from the city back to the well. Because you see there in verse 30, it says they, they went out of the city and were coming to him, that is, coming to Jesus. Now, while this is occurring back in town, Jesus has the disciples there at the well. And they're in shock that they have shown up and Jesus was speaking to this Samaritan woman. But Jesus is teaching his disciples the gospel holds no prejudices for all people, or it holds no prejudices, and, and it is for all people. And I intentionally use the word prejudice here, not racism, because racism is a term of really of, of ignorance. It doesn't really make sense. The reason it doesn't make sense is because we're, we're all one race. We're the human race. We're not multiple races. There's one race. There are multiple ethnicities, right? There are multiple nations. And God has come to redeem the nations, and so Jesus is showing here, there is no prejudice when it comes to the gospel. There is no prejudice here. The gospel is for all people. It's not just for Jews. It's for Samaritans. It's for Gentiles. It's for the Greeks. It's for all nations. And that's what Jesus is, is showing the disciples here. The disciples had harbored great prejudice toward this woman so that when they showed up, 
they thought to themselves, verse 27, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? Now, they didn't say it because they had already learned by this point not to question Jesus in this manner. But they thought it. And had they known the background of her life, the things that Jesus had already revealed and knew, perhaps they would have gasped audibly and even said this out loud. But herein lies the beauty of the gospel. This is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is redemptive. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how big of a mess you've made of your life. Jesus offers living water to those who have thirsty, sin-sick souls, and He redeems all who believe upon Him. This is the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He brings redemption. He gives eternal life. He gives satisfaction like no other. And that's why He tells her, you will find living water. And if you come and drink this living water, you won't thirst again. You won't try to fill up this need in your soul with all of these other things, with these relationships. Instead, you'll find satisfaction in me. We should learn from the disciples here, from Jesus here, that the gospel redeems the untouchables of society as well as the, the elite of society. From Nicodemus in chapter 3 to, to the woman, the Samaritan woman here at John chapter 4, it redeems the moral outcasts. The gospel even redeems the brokenness of culture. You see the interaction or the response or the thought, at least from the disciples, this prejudice that has just automatically welled up from within them. The disciples are learning a tremendous lesson, one they will draw on as they are commissioned to take the gospel to the nations after the Lord's ascension. We should learn here from Jesus and the radical shock of the disciples in verse 27 that the goal of the gospel, hear this out, the goal of the gospel is not to make more converts that look like them. The goal of the gospel is not to make more converts who speak like them and who have the same occupations they have. The goal of the gospel is to transform lives and to give purpose and and to give identity in Christ. That is the goal of the gospel. The disciples are learning this as they see Jesus interacting here with this woman and they are stunned and then are even confronted, perhaps indicted in their own thought as to what has come to the forefront of their mind and how wrong it is I'd ask us to consider this morning, are, are there any prejudices in our lives that hinder us from sharing the gospel with others? Are there any prejudices in our lives that, that hinder us from interacting with others to, to show them the love of Christ? It may not be ethnic prejudice. It might be political prejudice, right? Maybe it's that person that identifies with the Tea Party or that person that identifies with Democrats or maybe it's the Republican or maybe it's the Libertarian. Maybe it's the political prejudice that we have to deal with in our own hearts that would hinder us from sharing the gospel, from interacting with somebody for the sake of the kingdom of God. I mean, who am I to hinder somebody from hearing the gospel of Christ because of a prejudice? God's not made me that way. God's not created me to live in that manner. God's not called us to 
to live and to act in such a way. You see, the, the gospel has the power to transform. You and I don't have the power. It is the gospel that has the power. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Greek, for all, not just for one. So the Samaritan woman encounters Christ. He encou- she encounters him giving or offering living water. And then she goes to the village and tells the men, and they're coming out to Jesus. Meanwhile, it's interesting to note as well how John oscillates in the narrative between the Samaritan woman and, and the disciples. And it kind of flip-flops back and forth as we walk through. In verse, verses 31 through 34, we see where Jesus reveals heavenly food. That is, he tells the disciples of this heavenly food. Because when they get back, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He's hungry. He's weary. He's been sitting by the well. They've gone into town. They found food. They finally come back. They knew he was weary when they left. And they say, Rabbi, eat. You need to eat. You're weak. You're weary. And Jesus says to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I think one of the things we see in this particular part of the passage is the disciples are really manifesting spiritual blindness here. In fact, they look a lot like the Samaritan woman did in her dialogue with Jesus when he offers living water, and she thinks he's speaking about the water from the well, the physical, not seeing the the spiritual offer and, and, and the spiritual side of what Jesus is saying. He tells them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. You know, this is one of those phrases recorded in the gospel coming off the lips of of Christ that you can ponder over and over and over and you can still walk away with a sense of not grasping the fullness of what he's saying, with a sense of not really grasping the intimacy with which he's speaking about his relationship to the Father. Jesus makes a deep statement of of spiritual communion with the Father here that transcends physical reality as we know it. He speaks very deeply into the situation here. And so he says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. I think Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, where Moses told the people of Israel they're in the wilderness And Moses says to the people of Israel, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right? The same thing Jesus told Satan in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when Satan comes to him and tempts him during the fast to eat of the bread, to turn the stone into bread, and he responds the same way, man doesn't live by bread alone but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. For Jesus, the satisfaction and enjoyment he derived from engaging in the divine mission of redeeming lost souls is anything, uh, is nothing like, and is, is completely unlike anything on earth, any earthly satisfaction that he could find. 
No food could bring him the satisfaction that he has found in accomplishing or that he knows in accomplishing and doing the work of the Father. So he tells them they just don't know. They've not experienced it. They, they don't know. There's a restaurant in New Orleans named Giacomo's. Maybe some of you have heard. You don't have to give me a show of hands. Uh, but I would say maybe many of you haven't. But, and I'm going to break a rule in preaching here, and I'm just going to describe a meal to you, okay? Uh, and, and I know your stomachs might start growling, but just bear with me. This restaurant called Giacomo's is a, it's my favorite place to eat, but it's been about eight years since I've been there. We just haven't been able to get back. But this place is that memorable for me. The dish that I enjoy when I go there, it's beyond, it goes beyond just filling my stomach. It goes beyond just, uh, just filling a void or a need of hunger. It satisfies me like no other meal can. And I'm not exaggerating here. I mean, this meal, this is, this is good. This is the best meal that I've ever eaten hands down. And I've eaten it about five or six times. So hands down, every time it's been, it's been good. There's a steak that they serve there called the carpet bagger. And it's a 10-ounce oyster-stuffed filet mignon, which has a beautiful... Let me describe it for you. It's a... It's a beautiful medley of exquisitely harmonized flavors. It's good. The steak is topped with a delicate sweetness of caramelized onion and and a pleasant but robust crumbled Maytag blue cheese. If that weren't enough, it's then complemented with a, a marvelous Tasso hollandaise around, and it greatly excites my taste buds. Every bite, I mean, every bite is tender, melting in my mouth, leaving me anxious for the next bite. When I eat there, I'm satisfied in a way that no other meal can satisfy me. And unless you've eaten there, you can't know. Unless you've eaten there, I I can say I've eaten food that you do not know about. You don't know about this food. Jesus tells his disciples, this is food that you don't know about. You don't know about this food. The food that Jesus has to eat is found in verse 34. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, Jesus derived great joy from bringing people into the kingdom of God, giving people living water like the Samaritan woman. But you see, we, like the disciples and the Samaritan woman, get, get so caught up and driven by our physical appetites that we, we often forsake or, or, or neglect the spiritual. And when we neglect the spiritual in our lives, we, we miss the true soul-nourishing satisfaction that's only found in serving Christ, in accomplishing His work. You know, a reality that we as believers must recognize is that spiritual blindness is not privy to the lost. Spiritual blindness even happens to those who are closest to Jesus. 
Those who are closest to Jesus get entrapped with seeing things through physical eyes. The disciples, much like the Samaritan woman, were entrapped by the everyday mundane physical activities. They said, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? They missed the point. You see, the food that Jesus has to eat is beyond their knowledge. And the disciples were clueless about the true sustenance and nourishment that comes from accomplishing the work of God. A quick systematic look in the Gospel of John shows the overwhelming support of this missional truth that Jesus is speaking about. Now, I listed several references on the the outline guide for you to go back and look up, and I won't read through all of those, but I want to read through some of them, and I invite you to listen or follow along on, on the screen. John 5, 36 But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John 6, 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 8, 29, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Listen, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In John 14, 10, do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. In verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, throughout the Gospel of John and all of the, almost in every chapter in the Gospel of John, you see how Jesus has referenced the work that he has come to do, the work that he has come to be a part of. And this is the work. This is what is his food. This is what he's saying. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. It is great. It brings great satisfaction to Christ as he as he engages in the divine mission that God has called him to, that he has come to fulfill. You see, accomplishing the work of God was the aim of Jesus' mission. Accomplishing reconciliation and and redemption was his greatest source of, of satisfaction. I would ask us to consider this morning, when was the last time that we were filled with a sense of satisfaction in accomplishing the work of God? Now, that's not a trick question. I really want us to ponder that and consider it this morning. When was the last time that we truly had a sense of satisfaction in accomplishing the work of God? My hope, my hope is that we experience this daily. That's the point of what Jesus was teaching the woman at the well in the everyday, mundane exercise of daily life. It is the living water of Christ that gives us hope. Wherever we go, whatever we are doing, we are living in the God. We are living the gospel, living in the kingdom of God on earth. So there's a heavenly satisfaction as we live the gospel through the everyday, mundane activity of our lives. 
but know that there are many physical appetites which will compete with and tempt us away from the spiritual. It's the things that our physical eyes see, but they they can't come close to knowing the heavenly joy of the Spirit-filled life in Christ. And so thirdly, I, I want us to see not only does Jesus reveal the heavenly food, Jesus invites his disciples to feast on the heavenly food. He invites his disciples, you and me, Cross Point Church, all who are believers in Christ, he invites us to feast upon the heavenly food. In verse 35, Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Right now they are white for harvest. We ask the question, what is the will and the work of God for Jesus' disciples? I would answer it simply and succinctly like this. The will and work of God for disciples of Jesus is living the gospel. Simple. The will and the work of God for Jesus' disciples is living the gospel. You know, it's not about results. It's not about numbers. It's about faithfulness in the mission that God has called us to. It's about faithfully living the gospel. It's about living for Christ day in and day out. Living with the hope and the joy that Christ gives us in life. Jesus gives us an illustration here in verses 35 through 38 of sowing and reaping. And I want you to notice as he begins in verse 35, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. That's what you say. But behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields that they're white for harvest. In other words, the work is not tomorrow, but today. It's not about putting off to tomorrow or or four months from now. The work of the gospel, living the gospel, is today. It's happening right now as we sit here and worship God, even listening to His Word and, and the Holy Spirit firing these applications in our own lives of ways that this applies and, and things that we ought to be doing to share the hope and the love of Christ with our neighbors. Ways that we ought to be structuring our home in order to, to see our children grow up and, and, and come to know Christ prayerfully. We're talking about everyday life talking about the the lunch meetings that we have with with individuals in in the in the corporate world we're talking about the uh, the conversation that's had with the 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 secretary or the conversation had around the the water cooler or the coffee pot at at work the work is not tomorrow it's today that's why Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 8, the spirit, um, the wind blows where it wishes, and you, you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. It's about today, right now. And in verse 35, we see that things are not always what they appear to be. And what does Jesus do? He opens the eyes of the disciples to be able to see what he's talking about. He gives us the picture of the unripe green grain fields there around the well where they're standing. 
And as they look out over these unripe green grain fields, they see the stalks of green grain growing there. And then he tells them, look up, look on the fields, they're white for harvest. And as they look up, they look out across the field and what do they see? They see the white clothing of people coming from Sikar, from the city, out to the well. And that which was unripe, the green grain fields, now appear to be ripe. And these people are coming. And what Jesus says here is, Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And he tells him, I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored and others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus says, look on the fields, they're white for harvest. Jesus has sown the seed already in the Samaritan woman's life. She's gone back to the town. She has then sown the seed and now here they come and they're about to reap the harvest four months early. See, they see the people coming And this is the place that the disciples have just returned from. But they didn't see the ripened fruit when they were there. They were ready. But it was four months away. It wasn't right now. It wasn't today. But the truth is, without spiritual eyes, they couldn't see. They only saw through their prejudiced physical eyes. But now they're seeing. Now they can see as the The people come down the road to meet Jesus. The Samaritans are coming to him. When she shared her testimony there in the village, in the city, they they listened and then she brought them to Jesus and, and they didn't just believe because of her word. They believed because of his word. They tell her that. They were saying to the woman in verse 42, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. We know now that Jesus is the one who has come to save mankind. He is the Messiah, the Savior. You see, she shared her testimony, and then she brought them to hear the word. She brought them to Jesus so that they might hear the word of God, for it is the word of God that has the power to save the souls of men and women. When we share the testimony of Christ and what he has done in transforming our lives, I think it's important to see how she brings them to hear from Jesus. She brings them to the word. Our faithfulness in working the fields, get this, It's part of the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. It's not dependent upon one man other than Christ. It's not dependent upon one individual church member. But it's part of what we are all doing and living the gospel. You see, the the way that Jesus invites the disciples to come and to feast upon this heavenly food is he says, come and engage Be about sowing and reaping. Someone has already labored and you are entering into their labor. And then when you labor in sowing and sharing and and discipling, others come along and then they enter into your labor. And the work of the gospel moves forward because people are walking faithfully, following God's lead and God's call 
in our lives daily, in the mundane, everyday activity of our lives, living the gospel. Church, we need to see with spiritual eyes. We need to look with spiritual eyes in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. There are struggling marriages. There are hurting people all around us with wrecked lives. There are people who are struggling with sin, besetting sin, and have not been able to to be released from the bonds of sin. And God has called us to be about sowing and reaping, laboring in the field. My answer for those who say, what, where are we going to go and what are we going to do? Let's start with our, let's start with our neighborhoods. Let's start in our, our community. Let's even start in our home with praying with our family men. Let's lead our, our, hus- let's lead our wives to, to, to pray and, and let's lead our ho- households in, in devotions. Let, let, let's be about living the gospel day in and day out. Let, let's invite our neighbors over so that we can, we can have meals together and and get to know them and and show them what it looks like to live the gospel in daily life let's let's be involved in home group and experience community of faith as we come together and walk together in following christ this means we're praying together we're we're working on loving our wives and discipling our children and being involved as we worship together with the community of saints you know, there, there are people who are caught up in the lie of the world propagated by Satan and think that this void within, this, this God-sized void, this, this emptiness inside can be filled with the things of the world, all the while needing to know the hope of the gospel of Christ, needing to know the living water. But listen, living the gospel is not just about evangelism. It's about more than evangelism. Living the gospel is where the gospel intersects in our everyday mundane activity. It's where Christ meets us there and gives purpose and hope in our life and teaches us how to live in a way that's redemptive, in a way that redeems culture, in a way that that brings about the gospel to transform those whom we are around, transform the environments that we are in. God wants to do that through the believer He wants to do that through you and I by the Holy Spirit's power working in us. That's what God wants to do in and through the church. And so I want to challenge us this morning. Is that where our hearts are? Are Are we ready to be about sowing and reaping and living the gospel It was the woman's testimony who brought them to Christ. But it was Christ's word that brought them to salvation. That's an important point to make. You're not called to save people. We're not called to to save people. We're called to live faithfully. We're called to share the gospel of Christ, the hope of eternal salvation. God saves people. If we as the church are ready to live faithfully, God will use us. We will be a tool in the hand of God to be used by God to impact the environment and to redeem the culture that we're in. It's got to start with us. It's got to start with me, with each of us. I want to ask you this morning, 
Are we are we seeing with spiritual eyes? Do we know this food that Jesus is talking about, that satisfaction that that he offers? Let our prayer be, Lord, give us spiritual eyes to see as you see. I want to ask one other question this morning. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? You surrendered your life to his lordship, repented of sin, drank of the living water that he offers. If you haven't done that, I want to invite you. I, I will be down front and I would love to speak with you more about what it means to do that. I will, I will be down front and I can pray with you. I can speak with you more about that. Or you can come and find me after. Or you can find one of our elders, Mr. Al or uh, Mr. David. And you can ask us what it means to drink of the living water. We would love to share that with you. Believer, let us pray and ask God to give us spiritual eyes to see as he sees. So that we might be effective for his living in his kingdom, living the gospel. That we might be effective for his namesake. Let us pray. Father, you are gracious, you are so merciful. Thank you that you give us grace because we all confess that time and time again we get distracted and we look through the physical eyes instead of seeing thing, things spiritually as you would have us. Help us, Lord, to eat of the food working according to your will and your work for your name. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet in every day, in our everyday activity, work, play, wherever we are. And Lord, we ask you to strengthen us today to, I pray that you would strengthen each of us today to to make the commitments or the response to you as you are leading us. Give us strength, Lord, to follow through with what you're calling us to. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.